Great job, worship team. And Barb, appreciate the, uh, training our minds to meditate and begin to focus on the Lord. A little chilly out there this morning, isn't it? That's a whole lot better than what's coming. All the muggy mornings and the humidity. So thank the Lord for these fresh, crisp days. What book are we in this morning? Oh, yeah, Nehemiah. Good. At least at least you learned that much as we wind this study down. Well, we are in the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, this very well may be our second last sermon to this series. I only have one more plan, but I want to leave myself a little flexibility in case uh, it turns into two. But um, as of this morning, there's only one more sermon after this. And by the way, where are we heading after Nehemiah, we are heading to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, just through much prayer, that's not where I thought we were headed for a long time. I began to study another book, but the Lord just brought me back to Matthew. And the theme of Matthew is the king and his kingdom. So all that, that's the focus. There's four Gospels. Matthew is one of them, and each has a unique focus. The focus of Matthew is that Christ is the king, and this is his kingdom, and we are the people of the kingdom. And in this gospel, you have the teaching of the Beatitudes, where the king basically tells his people, here's how you live in the kingdom that I have for you. And it is not like living in the world. And it's not like living like those who don't know the king live. It, I guarantee you it will be very, very challenging. Uh, it's a whole paradigm shift in our thinking. And uh, I don't know many Christians that have mastered or really really gotten that close to the teachings of the kingdom that Jesus gives us in the Beatitudes. I've been very, very challenged in my attitude and my perspective of life. So that book will be life transforming. Really looking forward to it. Excited about all the books of the Bible. And here's another one we get to dive into and get our shovels out and dig deep for some treasures. But for now, we are in the book of Nehemiah and the beginning of the chapter. Unfortunately, we read where all of the reforms that Nehemiah worked so hard to accomplish, to bring his people back, to rally them back to God and the scriptures and a revived lifestyle, reformed lifestyle. Nehemiah goes and serves the king or, or lives in Persia for a while, perhaps thinking his work was done. We don't know exactly why. And in the seven to 12 years he was gone. He catches word that things are all falling apart, that all the reforms that he instituted, the leaders that he put in place to make sure the people stayed on fire for God was falling apart. And the people's hearts were growing cold. And so he comes back to set things straight. <clears throat> in the beginning of this chapter, we saw the evil of toleration that had crept in to the temple where God's priest of all people invited a relative, a Moabite, Tobiah, in to live in one of the chambers in the temple. And God's word strictly forbids the Moabites, and I explained the history last time, to participate in that. And so it was the evil of toleration, and Nehemiah was very angry and upset when he found this out. And so he pulls kind of like a Jesus in the temple, turning over the tables of the money chamber, uh, changers. And he throws Tobiah and his furniture out of this chamber. Well, he's still a little upset over the things that the state of the people and their hearts that he has found and the things that they have begun to do again. 
So we're going to look at that in the middle of this chapter. Today we focus on verses 15 through 22. And what are we going to address? What's the topic now that Nehemiah is going to focus in on? The Sabbath. And I'll call it the heart of the Sabbath because that's what I really want to kind of focus in or zone in on this morning is the heart of the Sabbath. Well, we're here at church, but are we Sabbathing today? Is it possible to even go to church to not work on a Sabbath and really not Sabbath? What does it mean to rest? We read a verse in a scripture song, I will rest in you. And then Sam, part of his prayer was that we would be refreshed. How does that happen? We hear so much today, and I'm guilty of it too, where I just think I'm just worn out. Life is wearing me out. I've got too much to do. Is there such a thing as not feeling overwhelmed? Is there a place or a way that we can be refreshed? Or do we just pray about it and talk about it, but never engage in it? Verses 15 through 22. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. And my version has an exclamation point after that. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and I said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing? Profaning the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God? Bring all this disaster on us and on this city. Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark in the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants... And sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Nice way to put it. <clears throat> From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. What's up with this guy? I mean, he is, is he just a grumpy old man? Is this everything bothering him about the church or the way the saints are worshiping in that day? Or does he really care? Does he really have a heart for God and the people? Is he looking out for them because he's getting pretty gruff and pretty rough? Wanting to, having already kicked somebody out of their house, their living quarters, and now he's all upset about this Sabbath. Well, he may be old and grumpy, I don't know, but he is definitely still a reformer. He is angry because God is angry. He's angry because his mind has been informed by Holy Scripture. And when your mind is informed by Holy Scripture and you learn the heart of God, you begin to get upset about the things 
that God gets upset about. And he's upset about God's people backsliding. And he cannot believe. He cannot believe that he comes back to this people. And they are slipping and engaging in the same sins that they already felt felt the, the whip of God's discipline on their backs in their short history. Profaning the Sabbath. I mean, they are just recuperating. Barely finished recuperating and being restored from where they had fallen because of their sin. He just can't believe that they're going right back to it. He can't believe how quickly their minds have been deceived into living worldly once again. And so he's upset and he fears for them because it's clear to him that if the wrath of God was exercised the first time because of this sin. Can you imagine the second time? This is scary. And so for their own good, he's rough. And for their own good, he offers very stern warnings. It's very clear to him. Not fuzzy at all. So what is it this time? Well, it's the Sabbath. He finds them on the day when you shouldn't hear tools, power tools. Not in that day, but in our day. Power tools. You shouldn't hear them going. You shouldn't hear heavy equipment. You shouldn't hear typewriter keys or whatever from the job. It's a day that should be quiet. It's a day of rest. And there are the people with their shoes off, treading the grapes, which is the way they used to do it. When you don't have power tools, you use your feet and your body weight and squish them. Make them taste real good. They're setting. They, uh, they have um, gotten up like a regular work day. Punched in a time clock. They have all their wares, all their stuff. They set up their displays and their tables and they are buying and they are selling and they are making deals as if it is a regular work day, as if there is absolutely nothing different or special about this day. And it's wrong. It's just wrong, Nehemiah says. It's wrong primarily on the basis of God's principles. And it reminds me a little bit of the garden and the fruit. And I know that the artists, for some reason, always paint the fruit as an apple. Maybe that's an easy thing to draw. Uh, maybe it's easier than a bunch of grapes. I don't know. But there's the for- forbidden fruit. And the fruit in the garden, you'll, if you remember the dialogue that took place as Eve is questioning whether I should eat of this forbidden fruit. She looks at it real hard and she studies it and she finds it indeed just like all the other fruit. There's no difference. And then she even tastes it and she says, well, this is doesn't taste funny. Tastes just like the real fruit. It wasn't about the fruit, was it? It's about the command given. It was about what was behind the forbidden fruit. It was about what God had spoken into the world. She learned the hard way. Adam learned the hard way. It's the principle behind it. Well, here's a day. And they woke up. And the sun comes up just like any other day. Today is like just like yesterday. Similar to yesterday, is it not? And, the, and the, the luminaries will continue to do their thing. And the nature cycle will continue to do this its thing. There's nothing different about this day. When you think about physically or geographically or physiology, it's the principle. This is a day that God has said something about. 
He's spoken in to. And there's a certain way he wants it to be lived for his people. And when Nehemiah sees the people that call themselves God's people living or acting in this particular day as if God had never said anything special about it, he becomes very upset. But I want to be clear that, matter of fact, my first point is, you know, worship while you work. I want to be clear that it's not about the work. That work is not wrong. It's not about being productive. It's not about selling. It's not about making a profit. It's not about working hard. Work is good. How do we know work is good? Not all cultures believe work is good. It's a Christian doctrine. It's what Scripture teaches us, so we believe it. But not all cultures believe work is good. The The Greeks, for instance, they used to believe that work was too menial. You shouldn't do physical labor. You, you weren't created for that. You should just use your mind. Of course, the philosophies, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and so forth, um, they believed that it was too beastly. It's, it's evil to have to do that. <clears throat> Work is good. God, the God that we worship, is a working God. And he created all that we see in six days, and that was considered work. And then he rested, of course, on the seventh. When he created man and woman, I've said this a lot lately, he put him in the garden. This is before the curse. And he said, I work it and keep it. So work helps define who we are. It helps give us a purpose. We work. We sweat. We, we strain ourselves. We strain our minds for the glory of God. Work is a way to worship God. Work is sacred. It's sacred. I like what Martin Luther said, the great reformer. He says, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may be singing a Christian hymn while she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. In our house, it would be she vacuums, not sweeps, because my wife loves vacuum therapy and she loves clean floors. So I think the Lord is our, visits us frequently because we have clean floors in our house. Now, I don't think my kids know what floors look like. I don't think they know that our house has floors based on the way their bedrooms look sometimes. <clears throat> But there is a floor underneath all of their clothes. He continues. The Christian shoemaker. Now listen to how profound this little simple sentence is. And even in our culture. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty. Not by putting little crosses on the shoes. to You know, Christianize it by putting a Christian symbol. But by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. We worship God through the quality of our work, through the integrity of our work. That is a sacred thing to do. We have lots of opportunities and many, many days to do it. Now, as soon as we work too much, 
then we're not glorifying God. Or if we don't work enough, if we rest too much, we're not glorifying God. There's a balance here. We want to honor God in both ways and in both the working and resting periods because God designed those days specifically for those things. It's an assignment. And when we get them out of balance, it's called idolatry. If we love work too much or if we love our rest too much, idolatry. Now, I admit it. When I was a kid, a young kid, I hated work, hated it. It cut into my playtime. And, uh, you know, mom said, you got Paul, we the garden. Oh, man, we the garden. I mean, I got, I got to play in the creek today. I got big plans. I got trees to climb. I got, my buddies, were they're playing ball at the field, you know. And sometimes I had to weed. We had a brick patio. And I had to weed between the bricks that were this close together. But weeds would come up through that stuff. I don't know why we didn't have spray in those days. But there we, there we were out there weeding the patio. I did not like it. It cut into the me time that I wanted to enjoy. And so uh, then later on, I grew up a little bit and began, began to accomplish things. And I started having appreciation for work. And I thought, wow, that looks pretty good. You know, you cut the grass, you get instant gratification. That little patch is still high. And this patch is nice and freshly cut. And you begin to... Or I began to, to appreciate work and what you could accomplish with work. You know, you clean the, the vines off the fence row, which I did many times at our farm. And, and it looked great as compared to the unkept side. And then I got a little older and I started getting paid for my work. And I was like, now this is the ticket. This is the ticket. No more chump change, little nickels and dimes for the chores. Um, I didn't get a salary growing up. You just every once in a while, if you needed money, if you... You might get it and you might not. But now I actually worked and I got a paycheck and I thought this is the way life should work. I like this. It gives me buying power. I have freedom, financial freedom. Then when I became a Christian, my, my, my whole paradigm of work shifted even more because I realized that everything, my work and my paycheck, was to honor God and to glorify God and that it wasn't just about the money, but God actually cared about the quality of my work, the way I approached it, and the way I thought about it while I was doing it. It just blew my mind. And uh, I love work. And it's actually hard for me to preach through this sermon because I really like work. As a matter of fact, I love it too much. So I'm kind of preaching to the choir here when it comes to work. But God brought about work. It's good whether I ruin it, whether you ruin it, your idol or my idol. It is intended to be good. And God gave it to us to bless the world, to bless one another, and to bless Him. Some of you might be thinking, I hate work. And I'm a believer. What's wrong with me? I got a boss. I can't stand him. Totally unreasonable. Doesn't appreciate me. I go, sometimes I try and even go the extra mile and do extra things. Never regard all I do is get put down. How are you supposed to work under those conditions? Bible gives us a little secret. Jesus is your boss. You work for Jesus. Makes all the difference. Just Paul in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, there's a boss behind the boss. 
the one behind the boss, Jesus, that's the boss we really want to please. Because, you know, humans, we're fickle. We're moody. And one day you might get praised for something. The next day you might get put down for the very same thing. That's just humanity. But not God. He's consistent. His love is steadfast. He notices it. And that's what should be our motive and behind our work ethic. He says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is Christ. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. That verse just changes everything about what we know of as work. You're working for Christ. Yeah, you want to please your customers and do a good job, but ultimately you are working for Christ. That means sometimes we might even have to disobey our bosses. When they want us to do shady things or even our customers when they want us to do shady things. But we can lay our our heads down on a pillow at night and sleep sound when you have worked for Christ. So whatever we do, whether we walk dogs for a living or make lattes for a living or drive trucks for a living or pound nails for a living, whatever we do, we it is a sacred thing if we are a child of God. And do it for the honor of God. By the way, Jesus, what was he? Blue collar. He pounded nails for a living. He cut boards for a living. He sanded them for a living. He knows work. He had to get up early, start his day. I don't know what time he started work. I'm sure in that day you just you were just kind of mentored into that trade that your father did. And his father was a carpenter. So by the sweat of his brow, he brought forth his product. I got a sneaky suspicion that he didn't cut corners when he built things. I got a sneaky suspicion that he, he, he kept working at it until it was right. till it was reliable. till the product was good. I'd also venture to say uh, that he didn't whine and complain all day about his work. It's too hot. Why did they order all these the same thing? I got too many splinters. And I doubt he showed up for late for work habitually. Work ethic. He set an example in his work. Work honors God. Work is sacred. But not only do we find in Scripture a doctrine or a teaching about work, we also find a teaching about rest. So as much as God cares about our work ethic, there's such a thing as a rest ethic that he has spoken into our lives. Rest, Sabbath, taking a break. God created all things on six days and they were good. On the seventh day, God rested. Why did he rest? Was he worn out? I don't think so. When you create by fiat, I don't think that was very tiring. When he can just say, let there be light and there is light and it's good. That's just power. There's no weariness there. So what does it mean that he rested? Well, it literally means that he ceased. He stopped what he was doing. His work, his creative power stopped. He was finished that aspect and he enjoyed what he had done. 
He rested. He Sabbathed. He enjoyed the work of his hands on that seventh day. So in it, one aspect of Sabbathing or resting is uh, stopping and enjoying the things that are already there. Enjoying the things that you've already worked for. Enjoying the things that God has already given us. He's already placed into our hands as blessings. We already have them. Just stop. Don't create more today. Just enjoy what's already there. Enjoy the God that is already there. The family that is already there. Resting is literally ingrained in the order of creation. It's a part of it. It's a part of the fabric of the world that we have been placed in. It was already there before we got here. And the command still stands. Everybody, all of mankind will be blessed if they obey this command. But it is particularly given to the God, the people of God. Of course, through Moses and his command, commandment number four, keep the Sabbath holy. Does God care about rest? Does he care about the Sabbath and worship? It, it made it into the ten principles that make life what it is. The ten principles that reflect the very character of God. Keep the Sabbath holy. There's, it's not slighted in any way. And then here they are in their overalls or their robes or their girder belts or whatever they wore in that day. Their little, their little diaper things that they wore around themselves when they worked. They are treading grapes. They're loading up the beasts of burden with their grains and their produce. They're excited about the deals that are going to make. You can't miss an opportunity. I mean, Sunday might be sale day. Because stuff's getting stale by the end of the week, maybe. And you want to get rid of it. And they are working hard. Increasing their standard of living, you might say. I mean, after all, it's got to be a win-win situation, right? You work hard six days. You make money. You work that extra day. You make more money. You only stand to gain. And when... Our tendency is to feel secure the more resources we have. Then it just stands to reason that if we have even more and even more, we can be even more secure, safe. You work hard enough, you can even build way into the future and, and you're covered. So the reasoning goes. I mean, how can it not feel good to have a little extra money in the bank to face the next Week. That's the way they thought. It's the same way we think today. We face the same uh, temptations. Although I'd say, I'd venture to say it's worse for us because at least in that day they did have limitations. Uh, they had the cycle of the moon, the sun, and when, when the sun went down, I mean, they were kind of shut down. Today, we're 24 7 society. I mean, you, even out here in the country, you don't have to drive far to find just about anything any time of day or night. And if you can't find it physically, turn your computer on. You got elect your electricity still runs at night. If you didn't know that, if you uh, go to bed early, like some of you, go to bed real early. Believe it or not, the electricity still works if you are awake to use it. We can turn our computers on. People texting, watching videos, all that stuff all night long if you want. Never stops. Flip of a switch. 
So we may even have it, maybe even more tempted than they were in that day. Things just never really shut down. There's that, that, that lie, I would say. The thing that we're, we're tempted to believe that is, you know, if, if I just do this, if I work here, I'll get ahead. It'll help me get ahead. And everybody wants to get ahead in life. I'll have a little bit more. A little more freedom, buying powder. And we, and we need to work in order to provide for ourselves, in order to cover for ourselves. And six days won't quite do it. We need that seventh. If I just have that seventh day, things will be better for me. I'll have more security. Uh, not so sure. Basically what we're saying is, I'm not so sure that God will provide for me in the way that I want to be provided for if I... Don't work on this day. I don't, I don't feel quite as covered as I want to feel. Quite as prepared for what might come in the future as my soul is longing to feel. Because I want to feel safe. And I want to, to know that I can pay my bills and take care of those under my charge. And so this is my responsibility to do it. I need seven. Six will not do it. Need more wood on the pile, oil in the tank, grain in the barns. To get that feeling that I want. Got to buy in bulk at Costco. Because one won't do it. And Sunday you don't want to miss an opportunity. You don't want to miss a deal. What if, what if somebody just decides to sell something for cheap that day? Does it work? Is it true if we work seven days a week that we would make more money? Most of the time, yeah. You can financially gain if you work seven days a week. Makes sense. You have more money in the bank. So if that's what we want in life. That kind of security at the expense of whatever, whatever it was that God wanted us on, to give us at that day of rest. Then sure it works. Read an article on about the um, Fortune 500 people. If you make it in the Fortune 500 magazine, then you are very successful. You have to be a hard worker to make it into that magazine. If you look at the lifestyles of the people that make it into that life, that, that magazine, it, they're all workaholics. It's all they live for. Because the only way you can get to that level, other than the grace of God, the blessing of God, is by poor, making your life one big work schedule. And that's exactly what they do. And they, a lot of them were interviewed, and I read a little article about them, and uh they just barely, a lot of them barely sleep. They don't need to sleep. I guess they're that high energy personality, but they just go all the time. Some of them have two assistants. One for the first eight hours, one for the second eight hours of their work day. Because the one assistant can't hang. Because everything that comes, comes to their mind, they, they, they blurt it out. They check all their emails. Some of them scan through 800 emails a day. Business emails. They're just, that's all they live for. That's all they do. Now, it wears on them. They, they skip Christmases. They skip birthdays. Uh, wife in the, in the hospital having a, their baby. They got things to do. They have, people are depending on them and their decisions. So they just skip all those things. They buy all, pass all those things and immerse themselves. I read one where, one place where um, Bill Gates said that he took six days off in six years. He took one day a year off 
Is he a wealthy man? Yeah. One of the wealthiest. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? You know, it's funny that sometimes we Sabbath one way or another. And if we don't choose to do it ourselves, sometimes it kind of chooses to do it for us. And that is in the form of we burn ourselves out. We get kind of unhealthy and sick. And we'll find ourselves Sabbathing, laying on our back on a stretcher on the way to the hospital in an ambulance because we have not lived the way God has intended for us to live. We were not created to be a non-stop workers. God stopped. We should stop. In the Old Testament, their Sabbath was a Saturday. In ours, it's a Sunday because there's a shift that took place and there's lots of books about this, but obviously it was Saturday in the Old Testament and then the Christians began to Worship and Sabbath on a Sunday because that was Resurrection Day. And as Revelation was written, the New Testament was written and books were circulated through the churches, they began to understand that the ultimate rest was in Christ. And the ultimate work that was accomplished was the work of salvation. Not just creation that we read about in Genesis, but the creative power of Christ who makes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new Creation, the old is gone, the new is coming. So they rested in the working power of Christ to bring forth salvation. And they worshipped him on the, the greatest day that they thought that superseded all other days, the resurrection, because that meant everything was true. Every promise that God made was true. And that Christ defeated the enemy, he defeated sin, and he defeated death. So it took a little transition there. And most of the believers, of course, Jewish believers, too, they worshiped on a Sunday, not on a Saturday. Have you ever wondered why today, you know, you read Scripture and here we are and we're thinking work six days and take one off. Well, how come you only work five? For the most part. The standard work week is five. How did that happen? We're kind of a, on the heels of a Christian society. That's actually a relatively new phenomenon to just have a two-day weekend. And um, actually, the United States can take credit for that. A little history goes that after, during the, or the Industrial Revolution changed some things because most people were out on the farms, they were entrepreneurs, or they made their living close to home, and the whole family worked. And um, so it didn't matter what day you really took off. It didn't affect that many people. But when the Industrial Revolution came into place and the guys, people moved to the city and and worked in factories, everybody together. Well, then if some were missing, it mattered. And what happened was uh, the Jews would not work on a Saturday because that was their Sabbath. So they said, I'm not working on a Saturday. And then the Christians would turn around and say, well, Sunday's my Sabbath. I'm not working on a Sunday. And for a little while, they'd let the Jews off. They didn't have much of a choice. But you, you just the factories didn't work right because half the workforce or some of the workforce was going on a Saturday. Some was going, going on a Sunday. And so the, uh, the regular Sunday Sabbath turned into a two-day working work week and then so a, a that happened actually at a particular factory and other factories began to follow suit next thing you know it's almost worldwide practice for the two-day weekend so we have it easy it's interesting history there's a little more to it than that um, so worship and rest is literally a way for us 
to glorify God, it, there's a sacredness to it. There's a sacredness when we can calm our hearts and, and our minds and focus on God, focus on what he's already given us, the blessings that we have. Thank him for the work that we've been able to accomplish and Sabbath in him. And so Nehemiah is upset because his contemporaries are acting as if this is not a special day. And they are working and he fears that the wrath of God may visit them again. Work had become an idol for them. What happens when work consumes us as we wind down here? Well, Mark Driscoll says, usually the first thing to go is worship. You think about your life, your history. If you have a working history, when you get real busy and work begins to, to, to become too important to you, usually what's one of the first things to go in your schedule? It's your worship in different forms. Devotion starts cutting back or then you don't have time for it. The prayer meeting at church can't do that tonight. I'm going to have to cut back maybe every other month. The Bible study, I'm going to miss a few and then a few more. And then church too tired from working so hard or I didn't quite get it all done. Usually the first thing that suffers is our commitment to God. And, and uh, the time that we are supposed to devote to the worship of God. And then second, we begin to lose our joy. Why? Because we're on that gerbil wheel. At first, it's fun. Man, I'm making more money. Then, then the next thing you know, I'm stuck. I have so many responsibilities here, I can't get out. I'm just going through the motions. I don't know how to get off this wheel. I don't know how to stay stopped. Too many, I will let way too many people down. If I stop. And so it's just not a joyful thing. It's just going through the motions. And then third, if we continue on without stopping, we just lose our perspective. We lose our, our perspective of the balance of life. And, and, and then we don't plan for the things that are important. We don't, um, we don't plan long term because we can't see really that long term. We're just in the, in the moment. We don't put vacations on the calendar. We don't put breaks on the calendar. We don't put meetings on the calendar or fun recreation things where we get together and enjoy the people that we love, that God has put into our lives, whether it's family or friends. And when you go that far, eventually you just lose hope. Life has just become one terrible, closed-in circle of work and responsibilities and duties and there's no hope. You don't see any way out. You're not enjoying life. You're not enjoying people because all you do is work. And then usually the next step after losing health is you lose your health. Eventually. But God rested and he set a pattern for man to follow by resting. A pattern of what? You take a day off. And you do what? You, you focus on God. You concentrate on God. You worship him. Especially Christ for Working salvation for us. You understand the gospel of grace? The gospel is great of grace is that no matter how hard of a worker you are here this morning, you did not work for your salvation. It was a gift given for you. And what you have gained, the reward that you have gained through Christ is so much greater than anything we can produce by the work of our hands and minds and by the abilities that God has given us. It just far surpasses all of that. And so we rest in Christ. We rest 
in, in his, his grace like a hammock. Because Christ really holds us up. We can't add a single thing to it. And I know those things that I described where worship begins to go and then our perspective begins to go. That there are people in here that are at one place or another being pulled by those temptations. We might have some that are just starting to compromise a little bit. We might have others that have already compromised. Maybe they're not here because they've gone through that cycle. It's something that we have to face in our day and in our lives and in this church. And it makes a difference. And it is a matter of obedience. It is a day to enjoy God. And if we don't just stop and turn the gerbil wheel off and enjoy God, we lose our perspective. We have been learning in Proverbs that wisdom is understanding reality. It's living competently in relation to reality. When we lose our perspective, what happens? Proverbs says, start making foolish decisions because you lost your perspective. You're not living in reality. And then ruin comes. We want to enjoy God. So let me wrap it up. The Sabbath is not intended to be hard and confusing. Now, the Jewish people made it hard and confusing because God gave this one command. Keep the Sabbath holy and you don't work on this day. And then the Jews came up with about 50 laws to explain how the one law works. Here's what it means. You can't tie your shoe. You can't work, walk more than X amount of steps and all this stuff. And they just added all of these rules on it to make sure nobody broke it. And then Jesus comes along and they spaz out. Because there are, there's Jesus' disciples walking through the fields of grain, picking kernels of grain and eating them on the Sabbath. And they're like, you can't do that. You just broke the Sabbath. And then Jesus himself, you know, somebody is sick and they need to be healed and it's a Sabbath day. And, and, and Jesus says, be well. And they're like, you can't do that. It's a Sabbath. The Sabbath. And Jesus is like, really? I didn't know that. I, I'm the one that designed it. And he sets them straight. He's breaking all the laws and they just can't stand it. But he's not breaking the law of Scripture. He's breaking their laws that they added on to it. And they can't quite get it. We don't want to add on. It's not meant. So here, here, here's the defining verse. I'll just land on this. Mark 2, 27, 28. Jesus said to them, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Guys. It's my gift to you, the Sabbath. It's my gift to you. It's rest. Enjoy it. You have a divine mandate to turn things off and to leave your burdens and your weariness back here. And to end this week and to begin this week refreshed. It is not intend to master or be a tyrant to you to lead you into one burden after another to the point where you can't carry it. It is a gift and enjoy it. You say, well, if it's just a gift and I'm supposed to enjoy it, then why did God make it a law? Because it's that important. Because he loves us so much 
that he knows our bodies and our minds and our spirits, our spiritual walk. We can't do life and we will ruin ourselves and shipwreck ourselves if we do not keep the Sabbath. So he says it's meant for you. It's a gift for you, but it's so important that I make it a law. You can't skip it. You just can't because it's in the fabric of society. So it's, it's not just about the day. You see, it's about the heart. Have you ever sat in church, but all you can think about is work? You're thinking you're planning the next week. Is that a Sabbath? Oh, you're it's a day and you're not at work. But are you Sabbathing? No. See, it's a matter of a heart. We are to rest in the accomplishments of Christ. We are to gather as the people of God and be different. Because God says, "Uh uh-uh, this day is different. And if you're my people, you will be and act differently on this day. And if you don't, are you my people? Designed differently. It's a beautiful Beautiful, beautiful gift from God. So, Nehemiah was angry that these people were not walking in this gift that God had given them. Should we be angry? Should we be angry with ourselves? You know, if those people would have been angry at themselves and for breaking the law, Nehemiah would have never had to get so rough and gruff where he says, I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to do some UFC on you. If you don't stop, this is your final warning. I told you to stop. You came back. That's it. No more. Because my people, these are my brothers and my sisters, and they are to worship God. And if you're standing in the way of that, you got to go. Because we have business to do in our worship and in our rest. Mark Driscoll says it's good for your body, it's good for your mind, it's good for your soul, it's good for you, it's good for the people around you, it's good for the glory of God, it's good for the witness in your community. When we Sabbath, we're exercising faith and we're practicing for heaven. And we are demonstrating the value of the kingdom of God here and now. And we are saying, even though I'm not working, God is still in control and I trust him. And even though today I will not be laboring, I trust that the good God whom I serve faithfully will multiply my efforts so that all I need to do will be done. And so that the things that he has appointed me to do working on will be completed. Well, there in a period of reform, Nehemiah is calling them back to the ways of God to be blessed in the ways of God. He's calling us back. Scripture's always calling us back to the ways and the blessings of God. Let's just go. Let's just heed and help one another and pray for one another and be a community that rests. May God bless the preaching of his word.